Okay, this is a call out to my listeners. I do not have a lot of sponsors for this podcast on purpose because I don't want to waste your time with products I am not crazy about. Well, I do have two that I am crazy about. The first one is LLC TLC. This is where you can save money on your car registration every year. You can set up a Montana LLC and pay no sales tax on your vehicle purchases, which is really amazing. Now, you can also permanently register your classic cars in Montana to avoid any annual renewal fees. And as your registered agent, LLC TLC will handle everything for you so you never have to step foot in Montana to take advantage of this incredible offer. Now, as a listener of this podcast, they are offering 30% off your entire package. Now, to get this, simply go to llctlc.com slash classic or mention this podcast when you call them directly my other big sponsor of this podcast is euro classics out of dayton ohio now that's euro classic with an x.com if you want to reach them in person you can reach them at 937-299-1311 now this is where i get all of the work done on my porsche i just had uh, my gto in there my mustang's been in there it is the place to go if you want awesome service at an extremely competitive price so when you go there, just ask for Dale and tell him that I sent you. All right. Well, welcome to the Collector Car Podcast. This is going to be a lot of fun because if you don't know, I'm uh, an an author. I've written a kid's book in the in the past, and I'm thrilled to have Sandy Miles on today to talk about his book that he wrote. Sandy, how you doing today? How are you, Greg? Thanks for having me. Yeah. So this is really interesting because this is about a car, a very specific car. I'm going to hold your book up here for the camera. The Buried Plymouth. And so there's a lot to unpack here. Why don't we do this? Why don't you tell us, just broad strokes, what is the Buried Plymouth? A little bit about your passion for cars and then about the book you wrote it, You know that was spawned from this car that was buried so many years ago. Well, I'll tell you, um, I, lived, I grew up in the Bronx, um, New York, and my, my aunt Renee was an advertising executive. And every year, she would get tickets to what used to be the New York Auto Show, and it was at the Coliseum. I don't think it's there anymore. I think there's like a four million foot skyscraper there now. But back in the 60s, um, she'd get those free tickets. We'd go every year. I remember in 66, I believe they had the Batmobile there. Um, wow. But she would bring home, you know, a bunch of car magazines. Her advertising went in. She, had, she was involved with direct marketing. And she'd advertise in all the big magazines, Hot Rod, Car Craft, Motor Trend, um, Hot Rodding, whatever. And that's how I got involved with looking at these, drooling over these pictures of cars. And um, my first car was a 1964 Volvo, which uh, if you know Simon Templer and the Saint, that's what he drove. It was a white two-seater Volvo. Most people don't even know uh volvo made a sports car but um, now that's the is that before though at p1800 that is it was the p1800 it was okay it was Perfect. it was the it was the exact same car like i said that uh, roger moore drove in the in the saint and uh i remember i bought that car the the week before i turned 17 in new york which is when you can get your license and uh i bought it for about 800 i spent about two thousand dollars to fix the bodywork and about a week after um, I got the car back from the shop, the car caught fire. End of car number one. <laughs> but it was what? the first of many cars that I had through the years. Um, and just getting through what happened with the, uh, the story, the Buried Plymouth, the story unearthed in Tulsa. In 
2005, I was in my classroom in New York. I was an English teacher. And uh, I was just uh, in between classes. And I was just, you know, surfing the web. And I came across this pronouncement, two years, two months until she's on Earth. And I said, until who's on Earth? And they were talking about this car that they had buried, a 1950, a brand new 1957 Plymouth Belvedere, uh, selling price $2,419. But they buried it as a time capsule to celebrate 50 years of Oklahoma statehood um, with the express purpose of unearthing it in 2007. And I remember seeing that and I said, I got to be there when they pull this car out of the ground. The only car of its kind like this. And a colleague of mine said a few minutes later, why don't you write a book? And so I did. It only took 18 years, Greg, but <laughs> it, it was done. So why write a book? And like, tell us a little bit. Well, tell us the experience. Did you go there? Did you see it get unearthed? Were you part of the crowd? Well, it, well, first of all, were you there? When they I wasn't. No, okay. I remember though when it did when it was pulled out because it was national news when it was pulled out. Well, first of all, the fact that you weren't there, shame, shame. Everybody knows your name. That's number one. Number two, um, I was there about five times before it was unearthed, just doing all this re ridiculous research. Even though the internet, you know, makes it uh, so simple at three in the morning to you know, do research naked in, in your computer. I still had to be there um, to, to meet with people, to talk with people, to see the site. And I was there, obviously, when they pulled that. I was on a long-range committee of the Buried Plymouth. You know, I did a few little things. But um, I just thought that um, I had came up with this idea to write a book that besides the car being unearthed in, in 2007, and by the way, the deal was that it was called Tulsa Rama, and this was the culmination of the event of, of Tulsa's celebration of 50 years of statehood. But the deal was they unearthed it in 2007, and the person in 1957 they had a contest who predicted closest to Oklahoma, uh, Tulsa's population in 2007 would win the car. That was the, that was the deal. Um, 50 years so later, they would win the car? They would win the car, and if they weren't alive, which the person that um, did eventually predict the closest to Tulsa's population, he had died like uh, about 28 years before, so it went to his uh, heirs. Um, but that was the How story. Close were, were they? Um, I think they were. I think that if I remember, it was something like their the their prediction was uh, the gentleman's name was Ray Humbertson. He was a, a, a a, a Korean War vet, very decorated uh, soldier. He was about 7,000, I believe, off the actual population, wow. which was 384,000. Some people predicted none, like there was going to be an Armageddon. Some people <laughs> predicted Tulsa would have a billion people, um, but uh, he was the closest at 7,000. And how he came, how the gentleman came, it's all in the book, um, how the gentleman came to even be in Tulsa remains a mystery. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of fascinating. But um, I wanted to be there from the get-go. And so I came up with this idea, just going backtracking a little bit, where not only is um, the car a time capsule, there's an extra time capsule buried in the car by my main character, whose name is Jacob Duncan. Jacob Duncan was 10 minutes away 
from owning this car. He saw this car, was walking with his family. They were actually on their way to a, a Disney movie in, uh, in Tulsa. And they saw this car at Wilkerson's DeSoto Plymouth, which was about a mile from where the car was actually buried. And they were in the, sh they were in the dealer's, uh, in, in the, uh, dealer's office. They were about to buy it, and the general manager came, uh, excuse us, that car is spoken for. And for the next 50 years, um, Jacob Duncan basically pined over his car. And, right. But surreptitiously, he was able to bury something in that car that, if it survived, um, was of major cultural and historical significance and worth possibly in the millions. So even if you know the actual story of the Plymouth, sort of like if you know what happened uh, to uh, the United States during World War II, but there was a love story that they were talking about, it's not going to take away from my story. And the, right. book, and the book and a lot of information on 1957 Plymouth and a whole bunch of other stuff could be found on buriedplymouth.com. So tell me, how did that process go? Well, first off, when the car was lifted out of the time capsule, it did not exactly come out as expected, right? Oh, Greg, now the four people that don't know what happened to the car, you just I haven't blew, said. You just blew part of the plot. Shame <laughs> on you again. Oh, what are we going to do? Yeah, um, you know what? Say that again. What was your quick your question? Well, let's just leave it for them to figure it out. But it wasn't exactly as expected. No, it was a little different. Being on site, how did that go? Like, what was the response of the people in the crowds? You know, like, what was your response? Well, first of all, what, um, what they did was they really made this. That, first of all, in 1949, um, there was a movie, uh, Tulsa. And it was about it starring um, the Angela Jolie of the day, Susan Haywood. And this was a huge event. There was 100,000 people in Tulsa in 1949, downtown Tulsa. This, from a positive aspect, was the biggest positive event to happen in Tulsa in 70, I would guess in about 60 years, okay? There was approximately 7,000 people just... Uh, jammed into about two blocks that were basically roped off and bound off. And, and uh, you had all of these people and all of these, uh, the media, you know, waiting for this. Uh, back in 57, they actually delayed the burial because of rain. Um, mm -hmm. They delayed it because Tulsa is, is, is a, almost like the rain capital of the, of the country. But in 2000, June of 2007, June 15th, it started to rain, um, sort of like uh, giving it like uh, bookends of rain then and rain now. But it went off at about 12 o'clock in the afternoon. They started to pull the car out. Um, the cover was filthy. Um, and people sort of got an idea that this car basically might not be as pristine as it was predicted. And what they, what they did was they unearthed the car, but... They didn't pull off anything until later that night at the Tulsa Convention Center. They made a big deal out of this, and people paid good money to go and see this as an, an event. Um, and uh, that's what happened. You know, it made news, worldwide news. Um, it made every car club, you know, Plymouth Car Club was there, regular car clubs. There was thousands upon thousands of people. And uh, they finally unearthed the club. 
Um, Boyd Coddington, who would uh, unfortunately pass, you know, from American Hot Rod, uh, from the TLC channel, he actually passed away six months later. Um, but he was there and he had his whole crew there and he was ready to get the car started and uh, do all of these things. Um, just uh, that was the plan. But sometimes, uh, you know, the deal, uh, sometimes plans don't quite pan, pan out the way uh, they expected. So, uh, but I can tell you this, the car right now is in a, a museum in uh, Roscoe, Illinois. It's called Historic Auto Attractions. And though it's in the middle of nowhere, if you ever want to just go to one of the most amazing, not just car museums, but one of the most amazing museums in this in the country, um, it's a, it's an incredible destination. It's about 80 miles west of Chicago, but they have the world's biggest JFK collection, uh, including his casket and and the flag. They have you know hundreds of cars, um, and including the buried Plymouth has its own room there. It's it's, it's kind of cool. No, that's very cool. Now, I want to know, because this book was a big undertaking, obviously, and you said it took you 18 years. And I can relate to that because when I wrote a book, it probably took me about six or seven. It took a long time. So um, when you went down there and someone said you need to write a book, what was your goal back then? And in the subsequent 18 years, like it sounds like you tracked down like as many people that were there and possibly involved in this whole thing. Well, 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 first of all, Joe Cappy who uh, he was vice president of Chrysler. He was uh, the CEO of Dollar Thrifty, and he was also the CEO of AMC at one time. He was responsible. There's actually a second car buried in Tulsa, a Plymouth Prowler, the prototype, the first one, $350,000 it's worth. He actually um, was part of Tulsa's 100th anniversary, and they buried that car in 1998 for their 100th anniversary. It's supposed to be unearthed in 2048. But when I he I had contacted him for uh, some information on that and for some other things as far as the Plymouth goes. And long story short, when he finally read the book, he sent me an email. Well, let's put it like this, Greg. I needed the jaws of life to get through. Um, my door the next morning you know it, it was such a, a an incredibly nice email and you know he, he just really said i got everything right um and it was just very heartwarming to to hear from somebody who was directly involved but the, the truth is with this story this story this book took 18 years but like anything else there's a reason i could have finished this book when i knew what was going on with when i saw what you know the end goal was with the car i could have finished this book in 2008 2009 2010 whenever but if i finished it before i did let's just say that the, I, I wrote that the 1957 plymouth belvedere the golden white was in greg stanley's museum classic car museum in oshkosh wisconsin well the, the first thing that i would do if i read that in somebody's book was i'd google greg stanley's classic car museum wait a second there's no Greg Stanley Museum. As a matter of fact, they don't know where the the, uh, the Belvedere is. So I had to wait, Greg, and wait and wait and wait until it found its forever home. And basically that took about uh, 12 or 13 years. It wasn't until really 2019, 2020 that it actually went into museum. And by the time I finished the book and went out to the museum where it was and spoke with the owner, 
Um, it was already about 2023, but I spent a couple of days in museum. I spent a couple of days speaking with the owner, seeing this magnificent museum. And the last 60 or 70 pages are basically based at that museum. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of wild. It's kind of, it was also kind of wild as you spoke a little while ago about having to interview people that were there at the time. And when I went out for the book launch in Tulsa a couple of months ago, um, I was fortunate to have a lady, um, Sharon King Davis, who actually named the Plymouth Belvedere Miss Belvedere. She was the one that shepherded that car to stardom. She was part of my book launch. There was another little girl. Her name was Cheryl um, Yadden Forrest. She was one of the girls that was posed on the Plymouth Belvedere. And all of those pictures are in my book. But she also, you know, she was four and a half at the time. She was right. also part of the book launch. And when we were lucky enough to be on TV and, and it was a big deal in Tulsa, I mean, you know, first time novelist ending up on the front page of the Tulsa world is just mind boggling. You know, my head's still spinning even a couple of months later, but it was nice that you had real life people or as Randy Crabell, the Tulsa world columnist that did a couple of articles on me and I was lucky for that. He basically said I had fictionalized versions of these people in the book. And it was just, uh, it was a great thing to interview all these people. I had nothing but support from everybody I dealt with in Tulsa. It was fun. Now, what was the biggest surprise in interviewing these people? Now, this could be something they said, or it could be the way the interview unfolded or something that happened. I mean, it could be almost anything. Well, it was just, I think that um, so much of, like Sharon King Davis, she had found out um, that her grandfather was one of the people, he, her grandfather was one of the people that helped with the original burial. She hadn't known that. Um, and then she, yeah, she found some pictures in her research, but I think one of the best things of these, uh, from what I got from these people was that they were very satisfied with the way the book was written. You know, Sharon King Savis said, you know, you'd gotten a lot of it right. And she said, I'd forgotten some of the things that you'd mentioned because what she had forgotten or what a number of people that were involved in the burial back in 57 or back in the unearthing in 2007 they had forgotten a lot. I mean, 50 years. I forget things from 50 minutes ago. But um, when you do the research and he has quotes from them and he has information from them and then you show it to them, they were like, you know, sometimes they just were like blown away that, wow, I had forgotten I said that. Wow, I've forgotten, you know, a number of things that you wrote about. And a few things, you know, I took literary license in doing um, as far as things that are happening during the 50s, obviously, but but they were very happy with that. But to me, one of the most amazing things when you're an author, uh, especially for a fiction book, you get to play Mr. Omnipotent and you can make any words you want come out of uh, uh, anybody's mouth. But I think one of the best things that I found that was in my research that I had made a number of things up. It's a novel. But when I went to check the research, um, what I thought, what I just thought it was made up was actually truth. For example, um, Wilkerson's DeSoto Plymouth was responsible for getting that Plymouth that was buried. And um, when I when I went to find out who had the, actually had the idea to bury this car and found out that um, it was uh, from an a man named Frank X. Long. X Long, 
who worked for NWI as advertising agency. When I started to research stuff, I found out so many cool things. I don't know if you or your listeners might remember, but uh, on Broadway in Times Square, there was a camel man sign. And oh, yeah. The camel man used to, you know, every four seconds. Oh. Right, right. But, you know, these steam things and just researching that and and doing all stuff like that was just, you know, I had so much fun doing that. It, it was really good. Now, I, I know it was in the packet you sent me, but you have a sister car to this or you had still have? I, I, I have the, ex- the exact. Again, if you go to buriedplymouth.com, there's a, um, a photo gallery. And it says uh, Sandy's 1957 Plymouth. It's it's the exact duplicate of the car that was buried. And there's a funny story to that. Um, I had always hoped that I would um, debut. My plan was, no matter what, I'm debuting this novel. You know, I had this idea back in 2005. I said, when I'm finished, I'm going to debut this novel in Tulsa. Makes sense. But somewhere around 2013, I was online and I saw... The exact same car, you know, 57 Plymouth, gold and white, exact same interior, you know, from what I saw of of the pictures back from 57. And I said, I got to get that car. And the next day um, I was on a plane to St. Louis, Missouri. I think I bought a Daniel Schmitz in uh, Missouri or somewhere in there. But um, and um, I bought it on the spot. Funny story is the night before. Um, I went over to my mom's house because sometimes moms, even though I wasn't exactly young when I saw this car, but sometimes you got to enlist mom to uh, help out financially. Right. <laughs> You're laughing like uh, maybe mom helped you out with a couple of cars along the way or dad. But anyway, I went over to my mom's house and I said, mom, I got to show you something on the computer. And I showed her this car. For, I says, mom, I got to have this car. It's perfect publicity. Um, and I, I'm not oblivious to the fact, Greg, that when I went to Tulsa, that if I had not had the car, I might not have made the front page. I might not have had all of these things. I mean, come on, you know, first time novelist, nobody's read the book yet. You know, they have no idea, but the car was the key. So I told this to my mom. I says, mom, I got to have this car. And she says, yes, you do. If you ever finish the book. <laughs> I like so that. Is your yeah. reason? Yeah. So um, she passed away a couple of years ago, and I just uh, I'm, I'm sure she'd be happy with what's transpired thus far. But the funniest thing was, so you know, I put my arm around my mom. I said, "Mom, um, it's a few dollars. I wonder if you can help me out." She goes, "How much?" I go, "It's thirty five. She goes, "All right, I can make you a check out for thirty five hundred." I go, "No, no, mom, it's not thirty five hundred." <laughs> it's thirty five thousand, uh, but the truth is, she gave me a few dollars, and uh, I paid off the rest, and we were good to go. And uh, it, it, like I said, the whole thing has been pretty a, a lot of fun. That's awesome. What uh, any? What are some other future plans for uh, promoting the car? Is it, are you hitting some local car shows? Are you going to any of the big Plymouth? You know what? I've been to a number of car shows. I've had nothing but positive response. But my really big plan um, is the fact that um, Christine, as it says on the book, before Stephen King's Christine, it's right. If you look at the book, it's right on the front page. Right here, Greg. Before Stephen King's Christine, there was the Buried Plymouth. Stephen King's 
Christine was about a 1958 Plymouth, everybody knows, okay? Um, it had a lover, the same as my Plymouth. It has, it, it has a lover that pines for this car for the last 50 years. His was Arnie Cunningham. Mine was Jacob Duncan. Um, they were basically the same car, um, basically ruined this. Uh, Christine ruined Arnie Cunningham's life, and Miss Belvedere ruined Jacob Duncan's life. But the key thing here that is, and, and, and you ask what's my next publicity move, is Stephen King lives in Sarasota. He lives not far from me. So it would seem that it's a natural you know, transition that if I can hook up somehow comparing my book to Stephen King's Christine, I think there's a lot of similarities. I'm hoping you know, that uh, that's something that's good to go. And by the way, if you ever get an old copy, a hardcover copy of Stephen King's Christine, if you check out the back cover, he's sitting on a Plymouth Belvedere. Unfortunately, his story is about a 58 Plymouth. He's sitting on a 1957 Plymouth, my, <laughs> which is kind of cool. But yeah, uh, now if you would, because I know you've mentioned it a few times, tell my listeners where they can get this book. Um, well, right. I know you've said a few times. Well, right now it's available on buriedplymouth.com, and there's a lot of stuff on that website. You can read the opening chapter. You can see a bunch of pictures of. Uh, you can actually see the burial from 1957. There's a commercial from 1957 featuring the Plymouth Belvedere. There's a whole bunch of uh, memorabilia, not only from Tulsa Rama, but from the 57 Plymouth Belvedere. There's a lot of neat things on that website. That's it's awesome. buried, it's buried Plymouth, Plymouth.com. Okay. Well, I know we've talked a lot about the car and the book. Is there something else you'd like to mention before we wrap this up? Um, well, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, I've always been a fan of um, classic cars. Um, I think one of the most amazing things about classic cars, compared to today when you can't tell a Hyundai from a Mercedes or a Kia from a Lexus, I just think that um, I haven't read too many books where based on an historical event like this, where first of all, this was the only car that was buried actually meant to be buried there was a story a couple of months ago where they found the car buried in uh, some mansion uh in california uh, but it was supposedly for an illegal insurance scam or whatever but this is this is really it's a fascinating story forgetting the book for a second the whole idea of just burying a, a brand new car as a timed capsule is just a, a tremendous idea and though the purists seemingly some of them even 50 years later were up in arms that they dare to bury one of the most beautiful cars to come out of Detroit, you know, especially since it didn't come out as you and I, and probably 99% of your listeners um, know it didn't come out pristine. It's still just a fascinating story. I added a little bit of uh, imagination to it. And I think uh, I think everybody really will enjoy this, whether you are a, um, a car lover a history and mystery lover. This actually story goes back to the 1800s. It's almost like a primer of how Tulsa became Tulsa. Um, if you're into pop culture, you'll like this book. There's a lot of uh, things here, but really, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a really fun story, and uh, I'm glad that I got a chance to do it. 
Awesome. Well, Sandy, thank you so much for being on the Collective Car Podcast and sharing your journey with the Barry Plymouth. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to the Collector Car Podcast. Don't forget to give us a nice rating on iTunes and be sure to follow us on Instagram and everywhere else at the Collector Car Podcast.